Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using Adventure Church to speak into your life. And if you've got a story to share, please do so at adventure.church backslash my story. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so by giving online and helping us bring messages like this one to you each and every week. Today's message is from our series called This Means War, in which we're discovering that our victory isn't dependent upon what we bring with us to the battlefield, but what's within us that simply needs to be discovered. In this series, we're learning to stare down the struggle and ready the warrior within. Now let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God. And today, last but not least, we are going to be talking about the sword of the Spirit. Okay? And this isn't just any sword, because a normal sword would just be a normal sword. But a sword of the Spirit, man, that's a lightsaber, right? I don't know if you can hear this. You hear that? A lightsaber, the sword of the Spirit. So again, our text is from Ephesians 6. Paul has already said, you are under attack. You have to activate the armor that I'm giving you. In Ephesians 6, 13 through 17, he lists out the armor. Therefore, put it on God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Evil will come at you. There's going to be moments in life where you find yourself under attack. And then he says, when you do that, you'll be standing firm in the battle. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes. Put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these things, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And then verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So Paul says that you're to stand firm, that you, you hold the ground that Jesus has already won. That's the thing we always have to remind ourselves. We are in a battle. We are in a war that has already been won. So he says, you don't have to do anything but stand firm. You're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. So make sure you got the right wardrobe on. Make sure you are dressed for success. And then the last piece of armor, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And this is unlike any other pieces of armor because the other ones were solely defensive. You're defending against the attack. This one is uniquely fitted to be an offensive role. A solid defense is invaluable, but the sword is the only way that we complete the work to advance God's kingdom in the world and in our lives. I remember uh, I was thinking about the first time I played football. This is a Father's Day, a manly day. I'm going to use a few sports illustrations for you dads who enjoy sports. And if you don't enjoy sports and you're a man, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I, don't, I don't understand it necessarily, so I can't speak from that. But, but I was in seventh grade, and I had never played like Little League football. And so I played baseball and basketball. And so I wanted to play football with all my buddies. And so in middle school, uh, I joined the, the seventh grade football team at Blended Middle School in Westerville, and we had our first scrimmage, and we, we drove all the way out to Watkins Memorial in Pataskala, which seemed like, you know, forever from Westerville, and we, you know, were playing these big old country boys, right? That's, I was a city boy. We were going to play the country boys, and so we, we walk out onto the field, and my huge self was, was playing defensive end, 
yeah, great position for me as a seventh grader. And, you know, I'd practice in that role a little bit, practice in a little bit of safety. And so, you know, in practice, your team doesn't necessarily come at you full force. And so, you know, I was pretty confident going into the game. I'd put on all of my pads, right? I put on the armor that I needed. And I'll never forget the, the first snap. I'm on defensive end, right? And the guys lined up. And I come firing across the line, and the lineman went to block someone else. And I was like, ha, this is awesome. I got a free pass right at the quarterback. So I'm coming downhill, just like I've been taught, and all of a sudden, there's this fullback. And he was a lot fuller than me, okay? (laughs) And before I could react, all I knew is I was moving backwards. I was on my back, and the guy literally stepped on me. Why the running back ran over top of me as well. It was my first play of football. I did not get up from that play. I was having a hard time breathing. I was in seventh grade. I was crying, okay? I was in seventh grade, right? I was crying. The coach comes out. He goes, what's wrong? I said, he hit me. Like, he's like, that's what happens in football, Kyle. You have to be ready for the hit. So the problem wasn't that I didn't know the battle that I was in. I knew the battle that I was in. The problem was is that, that I was in a defensive mode. I wasn't attacking the way that I should have been. I, was, I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't pursuing the guy. I was kind of waiting on him to come to me. And when you wait on someone to come to you, let me just tell you, in football, they're going to run you over. And I got ran over because I didn't have the right attitude. It wasn't that I wasn't equipped for battle. It was because I didn't have the aggressive attitude that I needed to advance, to attack, to move forward in the game. So Paul lists all this armor, and then he says, you're dressed for battle. Then he lists the last piece of armor. He says, and now it's time to fight. Now it's time to not just be defensive. There comes a time where you have to get on the offense. There comes a time when the defense is attacking you and you have to fight back. And so today, I want to tell you, you have to get on the offensive in your life. You have to get on the offensive when it comes to the attack of the enemy coming at you and your marriage and your family. Because you can't win the game unless you score. Unless you score. Unless you get on the offense. And so I want to take a minute on this Father's Day just to talk to the dads for just a second today. And the rest of the message will be relevant to everyone here. But dads, I think it's time for some of us to get on the offense when it comes to our roles too. To get proactive about the priorities that God has given us as fathers. As God has given us as as leaders in our families, in our homes. Ephesians chapter 5. It's funny, we've been in Ephesians 6. And if you rewind a chapter to chapter 5, Paul's giving advice to husbands. He says, for the husband, the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands, you ought to love your wives as their own body, as your own body. 
He who loves his wife loves himself. So Paul talks about the role of the family. In any organization, there's someone that has to lead the organization. And when it comes to the family unit, according to Scripture, God has put the man in charge to be the leader. Now, it doesn't mean that women just do whatever we want, right? That's not what submission means. It's mutual submission. And then he says you lead through your love and your service. So he says you lead with love. You lead by example, you serve your wife, you serve your family just as Christ has served the church. And when you lead with love, right, then they can come underneath that submission. So I was reading an article this week online about a marriage that was in a very tough spot and on the brink of divorce and the guy, you know, was really struggling and he was on a business trip alone and he was just praying and said, God, I can't. He got off the phone with his wife. It was another fight. He said, God, I, I just can't do this anymore. I'm going to give up. He, and he said, why, why can't you change her? And he said, one of those times where he heard the voice of God, he said, it's because you've never been willing to change either. And God kind of smacked him in the face. He said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to start becoming the change that you want to see in your wife. And it's going to begin right now. And he says, and it starts with this question every day, what can I do for you? And so the husband gets back from his trip he asked his wife the next morning, he says, what can I do for you today? And she got mad at him, right? That's what would he do. What do you mean, what can you do for me? You want to do something for me? Go clean the kitchen. So he said, okay, I'll clean the kitchen. So he cleaned the kitchen. The next day, did the same thing. Honey, what can I do for you today? She said, why do you keep asking me that? You want to do something else for me? Get the garage cleaned up. So he went. He's like, I had a full day. He's like, I went and cleaned the garage up. But he began to lead by serving. He began to lead by loving. The third day, he asked her again. He said, what can I do for you today? He said, she broke down and began to weep. She said, why are you doing this? He said, because I love you and I want to change. I want to be the husband that you deserve because I want to save our marriage. And she said, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry too. And they began the process of healing with that simple question. What can I do for you? How can I make your day better? Men, that's the question we need to be asking our wives. That's the question we need to be leading with in our family and with our kids. That's the way that God has equipped you to lead is through serving and loving just as Jesus served and loved you. Then he goes on in chapter 6, verse 4. He says, fathers, do not exasperate, which I needed to look that word up because it's a little challenging for me. It means to irritate intensely. I was convicted. Fathers, do not irritate intensely your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Listen, Jess will tell you one of my spiritual gifts is, is irritation to my children, right? I just mess with them all the time. They'll be like, I'll be like, hey kids, you want to get ice cream? They're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, maybe we'll do it next week. They're like, what? You know, I do that kind of stuff all the time. I, I got it honest from my own father, but, but I love to just mess with them. And, and occasionally it crosses the line, you know, and Jess will have to remind me that they're three and five and you can't just, you know, be sarcastic and tease them all the time. But what this is saying here is, is don't, don't put unreasonable demands and expectations on your kid, yet he gives the responsibility that we are to teach our children about the things of God, that we're the be the ones to raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. And that means that that we love and serve our spouse, that we love and serve our kids, and by doing that, we're modeling the instruction and the teaching of our Lord. And here's the thing. We all know this. Kids, they, they mimic what you model, right? They, they follow your example. 
And so the kids will follow your lead. If you love and serve your wife, more than likely your son is going to love and serve his wife. If you treat your wife and and your kids as a man should, more than likely your daughter hopefully is going to date and marry someone who's just like you. So we lead by our example, not perfection, right? We're not perfect. We're going to fall short, but we make a commitment to get on the offensive when it comes to our families. We don't just sit back and wait for stuff to happen and react to what happens. We get on the offensive. We put the right priorities in the right place. We pray with them. We, we, we make a commitment to say we're going to be in church. We're going to be there as a family. We're going to belong to a community of believers that can strengthen us. We're going to serve together. We're going to talk about life and the things of God and have communication with one another. That's what good fathers do. So we got to get on the offensive, as, as Paul is saying, when it comes to our family, follow the word of God and the instruction he gives us. Okay, that was just for you dads. Now back to our regular scheduled programming this morning. So Paul gives us this, this offensive piece of armor, the sword of the spirit. He puts a weapon in your hand. Everything else was defensive. Now you have a weapon. And the sword is the only weapon that Paul lists a part of the Christian arsenal. And a sword, you got to think about it, isn't for distance fighting. He talked about being at a distance, stopping arrows from an enemy that's far away. A sword is for up and close battle, for face-to-face, hand-to-hand combat. And it's the only thing that works when the enemy is confronting you. When your time with evil comes and you've been confronted with an attack of the enemy, he says the sword of the Spirit is the tool that you have. And the awesome thing that he said is he said it's the sword that belongs to the Spirit. So the Spirit of God, which is living inside of you, which is all-powerful, says this is the tool that the Spirit uses for battle. Remember, we're fighting against things in the unseen world, against things we don't see in the spiritual world. He says, so the Spirit uses the sword. It's the only weapon that we have in the spiritual realm, and he gives you the sword for battle. And he says, and the sword, which is the Word of God. The Word of God. Now, I often read my Bible on the YouVersion app. So those of you who don't know what this is, this is an actual Bible, okay? This is what we used to have before smartphones, okay? The Scripture. He says, this is what you use when the enemy is attacking. What is the Word of God? Maybe you heard when you were little, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for... Some of you grew up in church, okay. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book of me. The Bible, the Word of God. Psalm 119, 105 describes the Word of God. He says, your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So God's Word, the Holy Bible, illuminates. It reveals to us the good and the bad, the wise and the unwise. It's the ultimate tool in learning how to live the best possible life, free from the restraints and, and the stumbling in darkness and the attacks of the enemy. In John 17, 17, Jesus was praying this prayer. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And we talked about this in the belt of truth message, that we strap on God's truth, that plain and simple, this is truth. This is the word of God, that we can have perfect confidence in the fact that his words are accurate, that they're true, and they're unerrant. When followed, they will guide us without fail to the path that we need to walk. 
So in Scripture, in the Greek word, there's three different meanings for the Word of God. The first one is graphe. Graphe. And then the Greek, this simply meant the writings, okay? These, this is the physical form of the book. This is the sword. When he's talking about the sword, Paul isn't talking about the Word of God in physical form, okay? So as cool as my lightsaber is, right? He's not saying that when you are under attack, that you go and find a physical Bible, right? And you just start waving it at the invisible stuff that's happening around you, right? You go, he said, it's the word of God to fight off the attack of the enemy when he's confronting me. So Kyle said, it's the unseen world. We can't see it. You know what? No one's around. Kids are gone. Feeling under attack. Come on, devil. Where are you at, right? Where are you? Are you behind me, right? The graphe. So this isn't what Paul's talking about. This is the writings. He isn't talking about the word in physical form when it comes to the armor of God. This isn't a good luck charm either. I've known some people that go, yeah, man, I keep my Bible in my car all the time. I'm like, why? They're like, man, you know, it keeps me from like getting in a car wreck. I'm like, oh, it does? Mine doesn't do that. I don't know. I've been in a couple wrecks and I got my phone all the time, so the Word of God is technically on my phone, so it hasn't, it's not a good luck charm. It's not a rabbit's foot that we dangle, that we keep with us all the time, that, that we travel around with the Bible. It, it's not powerful in that way. So you have the graphe word, the writings. Then you have the, the logos word in the Greek. The logos, which is the message given from the graphe, okay? So this is the physical word, when read, There's a message that we get from the Word. So we do on Sundays, right? We read the Word. We pull the message, the intent of what God is trying to teach us from His Word. And then we begin to apply that to our life. So the the Logos is the message and the meaning of the physical graphe writings. It's the unchanging message of God's Word. You see, the content that is within God's Word hopefully on Sundays and throughout the rest of your week is clarified to you through the understanding of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, and God speaks to you through His Word. That's what always amazes me about the Logos, the message of God's Word, that I can preach a message on Sunday morning and I can get emails from different people with different messages that God spoke to them through His Word. Like it doesn't even... Like, yeah, you know, man, God really challenged me with this. And someone else will say, well, God really spoke to me about this through his word. It's the message of the word of God. So you have the graphe, the actual writing, the physical form of, of the scripture. Then you have the logos, which is the, the message from the word that you understand. And then you have the rhema word of God, which is what Paul is talking about in this context of Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God, and it is actually the utterance in spoken, declared word of God. It's the declaration of the logos which you got from the graphe. Is everybody following with me this morning? All right, I know it's a little bit of a Bible lesson for you, but it's crucial that we understand how the weapon works so that we can use it effectively in our lives. So the graphe, the written word, the Logos, the message from the Word, and then the Rhema, which is the utterance or spoken, declared Word, the declaration of the Logos from the Graphe. This is the spoken form of the message that you have received. And it's the Rhema Word that Paul says, the spoken Word, the declared Word of God 
that fights off the enemy when you come under attack. When it comes to spiritual warfare, it's the word of God, the message of God that must be declared. It has to be declared. We're going to get into that a little bit more. Ephesians, or Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing, even to dividing the soul from the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So the logos, the message of God, it says it's alive, it's active, it's not dead, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword, even sharper than the saber. It's sharper than that, that it penetrates to the deepest part of who you are. It says it divides the soul, your personality, who God made you to be. That's your soul, your inner personality, who you are. It says it divides the soul and the spirit, which is the presence of God in you, in the invisible world. So it separates your personality from the spirit of God. It can divide the two. It's so sharp that it can separate those things in the invisible world. You can't do that on your own. You need the word of God to do that in your life. And the word is able to get our personality out of the way so that the word can become alive and active and effective in our life. Because here's the thing. It's not about what you think. Right? we got to rewind to the armor. This is the belt of truth. It is truth, right? I'm going to tell you something this morning. Hopefully it will set some of you free. Maybe some of you will get mad. God does not care what you think. He doesn't care what you think about social issues. He doesn't care what you think about cultural issues. He doesn't care what you think about, about marriage and how you think someone should be. Everything comes. The truth is the word of God. Because our personality can get in the way. Because our feelings can get in the way. It's not about what your parents think. It's not about the experiences that you had. It's about the truth of the word of God. Because what you think and what God says is not always the same thing. Can I get an amen? I know I'm hitting you with the sword right now, aren't I? Right? It it hit me too. God doesn't care what I think. He says, what does my word say? What does the truth say about your life, about your situation, about my kingdom, about what's going on in the world? You see, the word, the logos, it exposes us. It kind of peels back the layers of our experience, of our personality, of our thoughts. It gets down to the invisible and exposes our motives, our intent, our heart. And so the rhema is then the spoken, declared word of the logos, the message which we receive from the graphe, the scripture. And Paul says this is what you must do to be effective in warfare, is you got to pull out the rhema. You pull out the weapon that the Spirit uses, unleashing the power of the Spirit when you're under attack. So when all hell breaks loose in your life, he says you got to put the word to use. you got to declare verbally, declaring out loud the word of God. Some of you are like, that sounds a little crazy to me, right? Like, and I don't know, but I've been there before. I've been there when I've, I've faced opposition. When my five-week-old daughter needed open-heart surgery. 
The rhema word is what I fought through my feelings with, that I fought through my thoughts with. When I began to pray out loud the word of God, God, she's your child. You love her more than I love her. You have a plan for her life. God, you are the great physician. You can heal her. You can do this. I declared when I felt opposition, the truth, the truth of God's word, verbally out loud. Sounds a little crazy, but when hell breaks loose in your life, you're going to need a rhema word. You're not going to need a little whisper word. Some of you have a big mouth. Use it. It's a spiritual gift, okay? Some of you are getting, you're like, I never knew why God gave me this verbal big mouth that I have. It's the rhema word. It's the uttered, spoken, declared word of God. You can't whisper it. You can't pray it silently. You can't just internalize it. Paul says when you get into battle, the sword that you use to fight off the attack of the enemy is the spoken declared, uttered word of God. In Genesis 1, 1 through 3, the Bible gives us examples of this. The very beginning, the first scripture in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless, empty, darkness was over the surface and the deep, and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the waters. Verse 3, and then God said, look at your neighbor and say, said, said it. Out loud, he spoke it. The spirit. In the beginning, God said, you can go through the whole first chapter, verses 3, 6, 9, 14, 20, and 24. Everything that God created, he spoke it into existence. He spoke and it was done according to the spirit that was hovering, ready to work. So the spoken word had the power in it to do what the spoken word declared to be done. Declared the declaration of the word. God spoke it, and what he said happened exactly like he spoke it, but it didn't happen until he spoke it. So you can't just think it when you're in battle. You literally have to speak it. He didn't just think it, he spoke it out loud. He put to use what he knew. Think about how it said, when God was ready to create, God was waiting, he was ready to create, the Spirit of God was hovering over, just buying his time, ready and waiting to act until the Father declared, spoke what he wanted done. And when God said it, the Spirit did it. Paul says, the sword of the Spirit, it's his sword, that he puts in your hand for battle is the declared and uttered declaration of the message of God's word, the declared, spoken word of God. But you got to pull out a rhema word to fight off the attacks of the enemy. And the Bible says when you do that, when you begin to declare and speak the word of God, that the enemy has to flee, that the enemy can't stand it, that he has to get away from you. We have another example in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus modeled for us what to do when the devil is tempting and attacking you. So Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. God allows the devil to take 
Jesus into the desert. Jesus is squaring off with the devil one-on-one. And the devil attacks Jesus at the point of his problem. He hadn't eaten for 40 days, and the devil says, hey, you want some bread? You want to eat, right? The devil does that. He attacks at the point of your problem. What does Jesus do when the enemy attacks him at the point of his problem? Jesus goes on, and Jesus says this. Devil, it is written. That's how he responded to the devil. When he was under attack, Jesus said, devil, it is written, man does not live by bread alone but every word that comes from the word of God. Jesus hit the devil with the word. He didn't debate the devil. He didn't discuss it with the devil. He said it is written and went at the enemy with the straight truth of the word of God. He said it is written, and then he quoted scripture. He Googled it, right, in his mind. He Googled it. What does the Bible say about what I should live on, what I should eat. Okay, this is what the Bible says. Devil, this is what the Bible says. Not what I think, not what I want to say, not from my experience. This is what the Word says. And if Jesus, who the Bible says, was the living Word of God, if the living Word of God needed to use the written Word of God to fight off the enemy of the Word, how much more do you and I need to declare the Word of God over our lives? Jesus didn't go at the devil with anything other than the word of God. He spoke, he verbalized the word of God. Jesus went into the the New Testament, he was in the New Testament, right? But he goes into the Old Testament. He grabs a passage of scripture to help with the situation that he's currently facing. Jesus said, let me tell you what God says about this situation that I'm in, enemy. Let me tell you what he says. He says, that is the sword This is what you use to fight off the enemy. So Jesus didn't just study the Bible. He didn't just know what the scripture said. He had to open his mouth and speak out verbally, out loud, what it said. And it said when he did that, three times the enemy comes at him, attacks him on different things that he's struggling with. And every time he said, it is written. It is written. This is what the scripture says. He spoke it out loud. And it says, and when the battle was over, what Paul says, if you stand your ground, putting on all the defenses of armor, picking up the sword of the spirit. And he says, and when the battle's over, you'll be the one standing firm. When this battle with the enemy was over between Jesus and Satan, Jesus was the one left standing. It said the devil left him and angels came to minister to him. When he declared and spoke the word of God over his situation. Listen, the enemy will not leave you alone until you say out loud, it is written. This is the truth of God's word. I got the belt of truth on. I know the truth. I'm guarded. I got the rest of my, but it is written enemy. And we attack the enemy. We get on the offensive because we're in a war. The only way to win the war is to get on the offensive. You can defend all day long, but that's no place to live. No one wants to be on the defense all the time, just protecting, 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 never advancing, never growing in your faith, never getting over things, hurdles in your marriages, never having victory in your finances. He says you have to begin to declare the word of God in the spiritual realm. You need a rhema 
word of God. It's the only tool that God puts in your hands so that you can have victory in life. You can't just think it. You can't just internalize it. You can't just whisper under your breath those prayers. It says you literally have to declare it out loud. And I know it sounds a little crazy. Well, that, looks, that could look kind of crazy. I, I'm sure some people have seen me in my car sometimes <laughs> declaring out loud the Scripture when I've been facing opposition, when I'm under attack. So as we close today, I want to give you an easy way to remember this, some practical application for you. First thing you got to do is you got to read it, okay? You got to read God's word. You have to get it in you. David said, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. You have to get the word inside of you. Listen, osmosis doesn't work, okay? You can't go find yourself a physical Bible, put it under your pillow like you tried to do in high school, right? And you're like, okay, God, I didn't study, but I believe that you are all powerful and all knowing and you can get this word in my head, right? It doesn't happen through osmosis. You have to open the word of God, the graphe. I got to open it. I got to get a copy. This is God's word to you. And then once you get it and you read it, you got to remember it. He says you got to study the word, get it in your heart. You got to download God's word into your internal hard drive so it's available when you need it. You got to download the information because you don't ever know when you're going to need it. You got to save those files. You got to put them deep within you because there is going to be a time when evil comes. There is a time that you will have when you get under attack. And he says, if you don't, if you don't have the logos, the message of who you are in God, you won't have victory. So if you open up the graphe, you understand the logos, the message, then you will have a rhema word. So you read it, you remember it, and then you recite it. Recite means to repeat aloud from memory before an audience. That's the definition of recite. You repeat from memory. I've hidden your word. I've studied your word. It's in me. And I repeat from what I've studied from the message of the Logos out loud before an audience. And the audience that you will have is the enemy. It says when you speak it, when you recite the word of God, the devil can't stand it. He has to flee. It's the power that God has given you. Martin Luther said, the devil fears the word of God. He can't bite it. It breaks his teeth. He is the father of all lies. The only way you defeat the lies of the enemy, the attacks of the enemy coming against you is with the truth of God's word. But if you don't read it, you'll never remember it. And if you don't recite what you remember, you got a weapon, but it's holstered. It's ineffective. Paul says it ain't the Logos word. It's not just knowing it. It's speaking it. You see the word. You study the word. You speak. Maybe even shout the word of God so that you can have victory in your life. Some of you need to begin to do that over your kids. Teenage years, they're rebelling. You're worried about them. What are you doing? How are you fighting? Are you declaring the word of God over them? I do it every night with my kids. I declare the word of God, the spoken word of God over my kid's life. You are a man of God, Maddox. You are a leader and not a follower. You will be a man of God who does great things for the kingdom of God. God is going to use you, Maddox. And he just goes, uh-huh, yeah. I do the same thing over Riley. You are daddy's princess. God loves you. He has a plan for your life. 
The only place you need to go for love is to your heavenly father and to your earthly father. I will love you. I will lead you by example, Riley. You are a woman of God. God has a plan for you. It's the declared word of God. Paul says that is powerful. It's effective. Some of you need to begin to declare the word of God over your marriage. I will lead you by example, wife. I will serve you. I will love you just as Jesus Christ served the church. Enemy, you have no right to divide me from my spouse. I will say true to my vows, out loud, not internally, out loud, declaring the word of God. Your career, finances, your health, whatever the enemy is coming against you with, this is the the weapon. Hand to hand, face to face combat. When the devil gets up on you, Paul says it's the declared, it's the uttered word of God that will give you victory. Listen, you're in a war, but you're in a war that's already been won. If you will put to use the armor and the weapon that God has given you, you want victory in your life, you got to start applying God's word. Got to read it. You got to study it. You got to remember it. Put it in you. And you got to recite it out loud.